You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? It is June. It is beautiful. I am happy this morning, and I'm glad that you are here with us today. Uh, So Jesus' primary method of teaching was through stories. He told lots of stories. Some of them made sense. Some of them made no sense whatsoever to people that were listening to them. He explained some of them. He didn't always explain others. And this summer, we're actually going to be looking at the different stories that Jesus told. We're going to spend a good portion of our summer looking at these stories because, as we've said already, some parts of the Bible are filled with big, grand, abstract kind of theology that can be hard to grasp. Other parts of the Bible are designed to move us in grateful response to God and The storytelling of Jesus, the parables, ask if it's really made any real difference in the day-to-day stuff of our lives. So we're going to be looking this summer at what does this kingdom that Jesus spoke about pretty much more than anything else look like lived out in our day-to-day lives. So I thought this morning that I'd start with a brief story here because we're talking about stories. So Sam and I, when we first got married, my wife and I, we got married 11 years ago and The very first apartment that we lived in was a small two-bedroom apartment uh, behind Target on Alpine up in Grand Rapids. And we just found out recently that the very apartment that we were living in recently burnt to the ground. And we haven't lived there for, for 10 years, so it's not like, I mean, there was a small, like, sadness because there's nostalgia there. But it got me thinking, if my house was on fire, what five things would I run and grab to save? My house was on fire, what five things would I grab to save? Now, my wife's five things are our three kids and two dogs, so that leaves so many options open for me here. So as I began thinking about it, I thought to myself, man, I'd probably grab maybe our wedding album, right? That's at the top of a lot of people's lists. Maybe I'd grab uh, my phone, because, you know, there's family photos on there, okay? It's the only reason. I'd grab my Bible that I have at home that's just filled with writings and journalings of just how God has spoken to me and moved in my life. I'd, I'd grab that. I'd perhaps grab some letters from my grandparents that they wrote me. I mean, we all have, we all have this list of things, don't we, of, of things that we value most. If, if your house was on fire, I want you to shout some things out. What five things would you save first? Family. Family, that's a good one. Myself. Yourself, that's another good one. Your house was on fire. What five things would you save? What what would you grab first? Pets. It's a good one. Fire extinguisher. It's a really good one. <laughs> awesome. We all have that list, don't we? We all have the list of things that we value most. This is a really potent question because what it does is it forces us to look at our lives and ask ourselves the questions: What do I value most? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to raise the stakes on that question for just a moment here. Imagine somebody came to you 
And they said, and they list, laid out all of the things that you own, all of the items that are a part of your life, and they asked you this question, what things would you willingly burn the house down yourself to save? What things would you willingly burn the house down yourself to save? In other words, what items in my life have so much value to me that if forced to choose, I would choose saving them over saving my own home? That's a much shorter list, isn't it? Like, I would never willingly burn down the house to save my wedding album. I'd never willingly burn down the house to save my phone or a letter from my grandparents. If I'm honest, like... I can't think of anything that I have that doesn't have a heartbeat that I'd be willing to burn the house down to save. Jesus believed, and this sounds like a radical statement because it is, Jesus believed that there are some things in our lives that are worth burning the house down for. There are some treasures, there are some things in our lives that are so valuable that it ruins all other treasure for us in comparison. Some things are so valuable that they actually are worth setting the house on fire, leaving the things we think we value most for the objects of ultimate value. The problem is many of us don't see the value of those things. We don't know what real treasure looks like in this lifetime because we are holding on so tightly to the house, to secondary treasures. And what Jesus wants us to see here this morning is that there is a treasure available to you and to me. And if we are willing to burn the house down for it, to leave some things behind, this treasure is available to us and it sets us free because it ruins all other treasure for us. So join me, if you will, in this story that Jesus tells from Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. And I definitely forgot to say something at the beginning, so I'm going to say it now as you're turning there. We have these devotionals that are available as a companion to this series. They're right outside on the high-top table outside these barn doors here. Feel free to grab one or a couple of them. Uh, they're really cool because they go in order with the series, and it's pretty much one study a week that kind of coincides with the series. If you're joining us online, you can get those at newlifewayland.org summer. There's digital downloads of them as well. So feel free to grab these on your way out here this morning. So Matthew 13, uh, 44 through 46, Jesus shares the story, and this is what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So Jesus tells two parables, two stories here, basically illustrating the same thing. And they're very short. They're a verse, two verses each. But these two guys, these two stories that Jesus tells, there's some really significant differences between them. For example, in, in the first story, the man who is finding a treasure in a field, chances are he would have been a field laborer if he was near a field close enough to find this treasure, which means he would have been an incredibly poor guy, would have been very financially poor, impoverished. On the other hand, you have this pearl merchant who's in search of fine pearls, and pearl merchants would have been loaded. 
So right off the bat, Jesus is contrasting these two guys from each other, rich and poor alike in this kingdom family. And then the second thing that's different is you look at the first story, and the guy in the field finds the treasure by accident. He's, he's not looking for treasure. He stumbles upon it. He finds it from some digging. The second guy, man, he's out there looking for pearls. He's in search of treasure, and he finds it. What I love about that is it illustrates that we find God differently sometimes from each other. Like for some of us, we didn't think we were looking for God. We didn't think we were searching. As Isaiah 65 one says, I want to be found by a people that's not looking for me. Some of us, we don't even know we're searching for God and we stumble upon him and he utterly transforms our lives. Others of us, like the pearl merchant, we have a longing and a searching and we are, I was sitting with a guy the other day from our church who hasn't fully surrendered his life to Jesus yet and Everything he described was this longing and this hole in his life. Basically just saying over and over again, I need Jesus without actually saying, I need Jesus. Right? This is Jeremiah 29. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So, so those two things are different. And then the, the last thing that's different is, well, I'm sorry, one thing that's the same between these two is that when they finally found, find this treasure, everything in their lives changes. They sell everything to get the treasure. Everything, both times. He sold all he had in order to buy the field. He sold all of his other pearls in order to have this pearl. Everything goes on the block when these two guys find ultimate treasure. And another way to put it is they burn the house down in order to get this one treasure because it has ruined all other treasure for him, them. Nothing else compares. See, way too many of us, we approach life with Jesus as if we can have our cake and eat it too. Right? Like, I can have all of this stuff over here, and then I'll get me a little Jesus on a Sunday morning, but he's just a small part of my life. He isn't my whole life. And what Jesus is getting at here with this parable is he's getting at this simple principle. If you want to put that up on the screen, there's no halfway in the kingdom of God. You either want all of Jesus or none of Jesus. There's no halfway. Jesus isn't a single good idea alongside other good ideas in our life. It's not like, oh, I'll take a little Jesus and a little Buddha and a little of this and a little of that and I'll have my witchcraft over here and this over. No, there's no halfway. You either want all of Jesus or none of Jesus. And when you discover how truly great of a treasure that he is, when you behold his beauty, when you see his face, it ruins all all secondary treasure for you. He is the treasure that ruins all other treasure. You see, most of us, we've attached our lives to things that make us happy. We have pursued happiness at all costs. In fact, the primary question, and I would say this is like the American Christian's question is this, am I happy? Am I happy? In other words, do I have everything I want when I want it? Am I comfortable? Do I have security, upward mobility? 
Where am I at in comparison to my neighbor or the person next to me? Happiness, happiness is a never-ending, elusive pursuit, and yet we are taught that our Creator gave us an inalienable right to pursue happiness. That's not in there. That's not in this book. See, I, I love my family, and I love my kids and our church and our comforts and my good health, but I rarely realize how attached I am to something until God actually removes it. Then the power struggle begins. I say, God, I won't be happy until I get that side-by-side ATV like my neighbor has. <laughs> yes, I have said that. And God answers, no, you actually you don't need that. You need gratitude for what I've provided for you right here and right now. When we put our claws into something and we attach ourselves, we nail ourselves to specific parts of our life where our entire identity is found in them. And then those things are removed, our foundation crumbles because we've sought secondary treasure. Can I say something really hard to you that you may not want to hear? Yes? Okay, thank you. Jesus doesn't really care about your happiness all that much. He just doesn't. You want to know what question he wants you asking with your life? Not, am I happy? He wants us asking, am I free? Am I free? See, Jesus doesn't want your undivided affection. He doesn't want you to view him as the treasure hidden in the field simply because he's a narcissist. He's not. He wants your undivided affection because he understands that is the path to your freedom. That is how you experience freedom. He is the treasure in the field worth detaching every single other part of our lives so that we can attach ourselves to him. He is the pearl of great value worth liquidating our entire lives to attain. He's worth it. He's worthy of it. That's why we gather in worship. That's why you give up a Sunday morning. It's to turn your affections and your heart to the one who is worthy of it all because he is the treasure. I love these two stories that Jesus shares, the, the pearl merchant and the man who finds the field, but, but there's another guy that Jesus interacts with a little bit later on who is like the stark opposite to these two. There's another guy that Jesus interacts with and has a conversation with who wants to have treasure in his life. And I want you to see what happens as Jesus has this conversation with this young, rich man who basically comes to Jesus and he says, how can I inherit eternal life? In other words, how can I have treasure? He's longing and he's seeking for treasure. How can I find hidden treasure? And Jesus responds to him and essentially says, some things are worth burning the house down for. There's no halfway in my kingdom. You either want all of me or none of me. In fact, let's hop into this conversation here in Mark 10, verse 21 and 22. Jesus looked up this young guy asking this question, longing for this. And I love what he says. He what? Loved him. Loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have, what? Treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And then watch what happens here. Disheartened by the saying, this man went away sorrowful, for he had great 
possessions. This rich guy prioritized his happiness over his freedom, and the irony of the story is that he walked away with neither. Sorrowful, disheartened, and enslaved to his attachments in this world. One of my heroes of the faith is a guy named Pastor Tim Keller. How many of you have heard of Tim Keller in here? A good portion of us. His writings, his teachings has had profound impact on my life. And just a few weeks ago, he went home to be with Jesus. He passed away from from cancer. And uh, there was another pastor, one of his best friends, kind of reflecting on Tim's life, a guy named John Piper. And John was just sharing about the last conversation that him and his dear friend Tim Keller had with each other. And I have to imagine Tim arriving to the gates of heaven, arriving to heaven, and seeing thousands of faces of people who are there because of his ministry, because of the way God used him, because of his teachings, because of all of these things that Tim had given over to Jesus. But one of Tim's last conversations that he had with John, they were reflecting on a passage of scripture where the disciples had gone out and they had done some incredible things for God. They had seen some healings. They had seen some miracles. They had seen demons cast out of people. And Jesus simply responds to them. And he says this, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in the true treasure that awaits you. By all means, do good things for Jesus. Serve Jesus. Do ministry. Serve other people. Love your family. Go on the vacation. Eat, drink, and be merry. Like, do all of those things. You're not a sinner for upgrading your iPhone. You are a sinner for using an Android. (laughs) Just made some fighting words there. Kidding. The point of it all is this. Jesus is ultimate treasure. And your salvation in him, nothing is secondary to that. Nothing. Sorry, did I say that wrong? Everything's secondary to that. Everything. John Piper says it this way. By all means, live your life. But under all of that is your foundation. In all of that is your identity. Above all of that is your hope. Be more thrilled that you are saved than that you are successful. Take more delight in the Savior than even in his service. Jesus is the treasure that is worth liquidating all other treasure for. And yet so many of us have accepted the lie that we can have competing attachments in this world, that I can have all of my earthly treasure and hoard it and hold it and keep it to myself, and I can also have Jesus. But if we take Jesus at his word, he doesn't really seem to leave that option open for us. The man who found the treasure in the field probably could have had the treasure and kept his earthly treasure as well. In fact, One thing that's really interesting about this story that Jesus shares is he wasn't just sharing an abstract story in a vacuum, right? Like we hear treasure in a field and it's like, I've been in plenty of like farmland out here. There's no treasure hidden out there, okay? But in Jesus' time and day, this was actually a pretty common occurrence. 
See, there were no banks or financial institutions for you to put your wealth and your treasure in. So what you would often do is you would keep your treasure hidden in your home. So you'd have it in your home, but if an army or a raid was coming, if war was being declared on your people, which also wasn't that uncommon, what you would do is you would take your treasure out of your home and you'd hide it somewhere else, oftentimes in your field. And if you survived the raid of your home, you would still have your treasure to go back to, to go find, right? The problem is most of the time you didn't survive. And so Jewish law said that if you come upon a treasure in a field, finders keepers, losers weepers, right? It was part of Jewish law that you actually had a right to the treasure that you stumbled upon in the field because likely the person who owned it had passed away. They were, they were gone. And so the man who found the treasure, when Jesus shares the story, the man who found the treasure actually had a right to the treasure before he sold everything else to get this treasure. Why is that significant? Because Jesus wants us to understand that some things are so valuable in our lives that they are worth burning the house down for. They're worth leaving everything else behind in order to get them. This man knows what he has is already his by law. But it is so valuable to him that he doesn't want to just go halfway with it. He goes all the way in. In other words, in order to fully and truly enjoy this treasure that he found in the field, he's got to detach himself from all other treasure in his life. There has to be some kind of detachment. He didn't just find another treasure that competed with his existing treasure. He found a treasure that ended all other treasures. The pearl merchant didn't just find another pearl of good value. He found a pearl that ruined all other pearls for him. Guys, there's no halfway in the kingdom of God. We are either all in or none in. So the question for us today is like, is Jesus really calling us to liquidate our lives to follow him? Is he really calling us to burn the house down for his sake, if you will? This is the part of the message where American preachers like to soften it a little bit. I say yes. He actually is calling us to go this radical for him. But that doesn't look the same for every single one of us in this room because our hearts are attached to different things in this life. It doesn't look the same for all of us. It looks different for all of us. So I want to give you a spiritual discipline that you can actually put into practice in your life to live this stuff out. This has been an incredible one for me. I've seen other people use it as well. The spiritual discipline is this. It's called healthy detachment. Healthy detachment. And basically all it means is that we hold everything in our lives loosely to attach ourselves to Jesus. Now, I want to focus in on that last part for a second here. Attaching ourselves to Jesus is the most important part because if we don't do that, we just become attached and kind of a jerk to everybody, right? Becoming detached is not a good thing in general, but there is a healthy kind of detachment where we hold our families loosely, we hold our jobs loosely in order to attach ourselves to Jesus. What does this look like? Detachment from this world and to Jesus doesn't mean that I love my spouse or family less. It doesn't mean I'm kicking them to the curb tomorrow. When I attach myself to Jesus, I actually get a whole new heart to love my family with. When I attach myself to Jesus, what I don't do is put the weight and the burden on my spouse to fill things in me that only Jesus can fill. That's what healthy detachment looks like. 
You know, the end goal of your marriage is not to make you happy. It's not even to procreate or have kids. The end goal of marriage is for you to stand side by side with your spouse one day before Jesus and say, we helped each other run after you, Jesus, the, the, the hidden treasure, the primary treasure with everything that we had. It's for one spouse to be able to say to another, I see who Jesus is turning you into, and I want to be a part of that. This last week, my wife and I, we had a really, really hard week. She lost her cousin to suicide this last week, and I did the funeral on Thursday. She sang in the funeral. She sang Amazing Grace. I don't know how she made it through that. And Thursday night, we went to a worship concert in Grand Rapids, And we were like, do we go? Do we not go? It's been a really hard week. It's weighing really heavy on us. And I'll just say there is nothing that makes me love my wife more. No moments in my life when I love her more than when I see her worshiping Jesus and tears flowing down her face. That's what detachment looks like. It's not going to my spouse and saying, you have to complete me. You have to fulfill everything in me. It's saying, no, Jesus has already completed me. And I want to walk with you as we run towards him. What about for our kids? You know, child dedication is one of the things we do to practice healthy detachment with our kids. That if you have a child here and that's five and under and you haven't dedicated them on the stage, can I just encourage you, sign up for the next child dedication. What child dedication is not is, hey, good luck, church. I'm kicking my kids to the curb. No, it's saying my kids belong to Jesus. And with everything in me, I want to give them every opportunity to know him, to love him, and I need my church's help to get there. That's healthy detachment. Detachment from this world doesn't mean I literally go home and burn my house down. Some firefighters in the room, I know we got some firefighters in our church, are like, please don't do that. But when I detach myself from my material possessions, it means all of a sudden I see everything that I own as a way to love God and to serve him. What it means is that I no longer use people and love my stuff, but instead I learn how to use my stuff in order to love people. Some of you have homes and houses that could be used for God's purposes. That's, I mean, I don't have a summer calendar up here, but like, that's why we're doing that. My challenge to you this summer is to detach yourself from your house your privacy, and actually invite people into community this summer to be part of each other's lives, to share the gospel with somebody else, to get out of your comfort zone, to detach yourself from your own comfort and your own false sense of control and stability and go out there on a ledge and serve people and love them and talk about Jesus with them. Detachment from the world doesn't mean I don't serve other people. It means I learn how to serve them from love instead of for love. You want to know a good litmus test for your life as far as if you have unhealthy attachments? A simple question that you can ask with your life is this. Is this item in my life serving me or is it serving Jesus? Is this item in my life serving me or serving Jesus? Do I approach my marriage as if it's designed to serve me or do I approach my marriage as if it's designed to serve Jesus? Do I approach my family as if my family exists to serve me? Or do I approach my family life as if it exists to serve Jesus? You can do this with your possessions. 
Is this just serving me or is, am I using it to serve Jesus? Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 7. He says this, But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become, what's that word, attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. Finding Jesus, beholding his beauty, Seeing him for the treasure that he is never, ever just mildly improved your life. It remakes you from top to bottom, inside and out, left to right, up and down, all over. It remakes you. Everything in your life becomes revolutionized when you've truly found and see Jesus for the treasure that he is. If it's real, it will utterly change you. When the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God breaks through in your life, you begin to say to Jesus, I understand what you did for me. And now, and how you poured yourself out for me, that, beca- that becomes the fuel that makes everything else in my life secondary. When you behold the beauty and the treasure of Jesus and for who he is, you begin to say to Jesus, I'm willing to lay it all down for your sake. You will be willing to say, do anything with anything I have. Take anything that I have, and you offer it all to him. Let me ask you this. Is $1,000 expensive? Is $1,000 expensive? Your response would be to say, for what? Right? $1,000 for a hamburger? Yeah, that's pretty expensive. $1,000 for a brand new Tesla? Probably not that expensive. Yes, somebody said yes. I don't know. You pick something. $1,000 for a new house, whatever. Not expensive at all. Right? The, the object and whether or not something costs a lot or is expensive has everything to do with the value that we place on the thing that we are obtaining as a result. Is $1,000 expensive? Is giving up your life Expensive? Here's what I would say. Giving up your life for a job or a career is pretty darn expensive. Giving up your life for an earthly possession or a pursuit. I mean, I know some people who have built their entire lives around being able to buy a boat by the time they're retired. I'm not criticizing boats. I love boats. Bring me on a ride on yours. That's great. What I'm saying, though, is that if that is the ultimate pursuit of your life, it's pretty expensive. Is giving up your life for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one of infinite eternal worth expensive? Not at all. Not at all. I think if we truly could see Jesus for who he is, for how valuable he is, our immediate response would be Jesus, everything and nothing less. And honestly, you could flip that same question on him. Jesus, was giving up your life expensive? 
Was laying down your life for my sake expensive? I love how Hebrews 12 says it. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. If we take Jesus at his word, he would lay his life down over and over again if it meant reaching just you. He is the God who leaves the 99 in search of the one who is lost. He would do it all over again just for you. This changes how we live, friends. This changes how we approach everything in our lives. It changes how we approach suffering. It changes how we approach security. It reframes service. It reframes our stuff. It has the power to reframe everything. It is freedom because our hearts are on a treasure. Our hearts are set on a treasure that ruins all other treasure for us. I want to close our time together today with a story and an invitation this morning. And uh, I have to offer a disclaimer about this story uh, because the story does not paint me in the best light, okay? But we're not here to make much of me. We're here to make much of Jesus. And so I share this story as a way to say this is an area that I'm continuing to learn and have my faith grown in. So a couple weeks ago, we announced that um, Aaron Van Wielde, who's a part of our church, is joining our staff. Um, And we'll have more on that and what that's gonna look like tonight at our family meeting. Uh, But we announced that recently. And I'll never forget the moment, this is kind of behind the scenes, where Aaron came to me and he said, you know what? I quit my job to come work at the church. I was like, you did what? Yes, I quit my good paying job to come work a not great paying job at the church. And by the way, none of us here on staff are in it for the money and the fame, because there's neither here. Okay, which is fine. We're good with that. We knew that's what we were signing up for. But when I heard Aaron say that to me, and I said to him, like, you, you quit your job? I remember this distinct feeling of sort of totally freaking out inside when he said that. Because the questions that began pacing through my mind when he told me this was, what if he can't make his mortgage payment? What if people don't tithe enough to sustain his salary? Just being honest here, okay? Most pastors think that. Few are willing to say it. Just processing through all of these questions and like my own anxiety and my own like, ah. (laughs) And uh, I'll never forget a conversation that I had with Josh, our youth pastor. And I was just kind of processing through some of this with him and like freaking out at him. And he's a great sounding board for when you're freaking out, just so you know, for future reference. And uh he, he simply asked me this question in response, and I'll never forget this question. He said, why would you be surprised when people actually go all in for Jesus? Why would you be surprised when people actually do this? And my response to him was, yeah, but Jesus doesn't live in the real world where there's mortgages and bills to pay and all of that. Some of you are never going to come back after this. (laughs) Schedules. And that's when it hit me. There's no halfway in God's kingdom. You either want all of Jesus or none of Jesus. And here's the thing. That's Aaron's story. That's what God is calling him to. I have friends also who have actually felt a calling away from being a pastor, away from working in a church, to go do ministry in a secular field. And that we celebrate that as well. The point is not that we all have the same invitation or the same story or have to leave the same things behind. The point is that we're willing to. The point 
is that we're willing to say yes to God when he asks. The point is that we are so caught up and so beholden to the beauty of Jesus Christ that when he says go, we go. When he says stay, we stay. When he says give, we give. The question I want to end with here this morning is what treasure am I attached to more than Jesus? And is there an area of my life where I need to burn the house down to go all in? For some of us, that means releasing control over a situation. For others of us, that means literally kicking an idol to a curb, getting rid of something in our lives that is in the way. For others of us, it's a call to be obedient when we're trying to shush his voice. Like there's this feeling in our heart, this nagging sense in us that we ought to do something or go somewhere or serve in some way or give in some way and we just kind of have shut it out and shut it beside. Jesus is a treasure that ruins all other treasure for us. And he has freedom waiting for you on the other side of your willingness to surrender that to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your death. We thank you for the new life that you've given to us. And Jesus, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters, for, for myself as well, that anything in our lives that is competing for our affection right now, that we would be willing to release that to you. Lord, if that means just releasing control, may we do that. If that means leaving something behind, may we do that. God, reveal the attachments of our hearts to us, Lord. Convict us over those. And God, may our response be obedience and walking and leaving those behind. And so Jesus, right now, we enter a time of worship to remind ourselves that even here in the church, it's not our talents that are on display. It's not our abilities on display. It's not technical excellence on display. Jesus, you are the center of everything we have and everything we are. You are the reason we gather. And so Jesus, as we worship here this morning, may our affections be turned to you and you alone because you are the ultimate treasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.